0: All right, welcome to another edition of the Ed Lowe podcast. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Everyone who's been listening uh, this t- at this point knows that I'm huge into wrestling, uh, done it, been there, know some guys, and this is one that I've, someone I want to talk to for a really long time. I have Nikita Koloff. Nikita, good to, good to have you. Well, it's
1: just an honor and a privilege. I know you were sharing just for sort of a minute there, Josh, before we you know, came on onto the podcast. Uh, a little bit of your background. Uh, sorry that our past didn't get, get you know, crossing the squared circle, but I'm, right. I'm happy they're passing here. <laughs> I understand you're a big guy. So I'm glad yeah. I'm glad uh, that, that we're crossing paths here on the podcast.
0: Well, I got to tell you, as, as one of the, you were one of the, the biggest body guys back in the day. I don't know if I ever wanted to, to cross your path. You were, you were quite the beast and your stuff, your stuff in 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 uh, Jim Crockett and NWAT, you know WCW whatever you want to call it uh, especially your your stuff with Sting was just the stuff of legends and uh tell me you know it's what I found really interesting about you is your high school class had like a ton of names that came out of it and all kind of trained together
1: it's it, it's it's crazy to really think about but maybe one day somebody will do, you know, a documentary or, or something on it. I've never really pushed that, but really somebody should do a documentary because there were seven of us uh, it, during the seven, 1976, 77, 78 graduating classes. Seven of us, uh, including names, recognizable names like Ravishing Rick Rude, Mr. Perfect Kurt Henning. Uh, Barry Darso, who was Crusher Khrushchev, and then demolition smash for for a long time. Um, John Nord, who was known as Nord the Berserker, the Barbarian. Uh, Tom Zink, the Z-Man. Uh, Brady Boone was maybe the the lesser known, but nevertheless had a pretty good career uh, as well. And then, if you got want to get real technical, Josh Vern Gagne, the owner of the AWA, was a graduate of Robbinsdale High School back in. I think the late 40s went on to play, was a standout athlete at the University of Minnesota, eventually the owner of the uh, American Wrestling Alliance, AWA. Uh, and one one other name I'll throw out there, Mean Gene Okerlund was a graduate of Robinsdale High School as well. So <laughs> I, I think it was in the water tower, Josh. Yeah,
0: I guess so. Did, you know, um, did you, since so, so all those people kind of were all in the same high school at the same time, did you guys all hang out did you, we you all wrestling fans i mean how, did you know each other pretty well as you guys were going through it so so one year five five of the seven we were all on the same high, high school
1: football team one year now everyone assumes that we must have had a you know a, a state championship team but as i point out you need coaching besides players right yeah uh, right. And we just didn't have uh we, we were at, honestly we were 500 a 500 ball club we just didn't have great coaching. Um, some of us did hang out, you know, and, you know, obviously in the weight room and, and things of that nature, Tom Zink went on to be, uh, uh won a Mr. Minnesota bodybuilding contest post high school. Brady Boone was a gymnast, a gymnast. So he was one of the earlier guys to do a lot of that flipping around and in, in the ring and off the top turnbuckles, etc. Um, but we really didn't, I mean, Kurt Henning, for anyone who knows their wrestling history, his dad, Larry the Axe Henry uh, Henning, had a storied career, especially with the AWA, uh, but just in in general. Uh, and and so, I think you know they. I've heard I've heard different stories. We didn't really talk about it. We knew his dad was a wrestler. Kurt, I don't even really think was interested in getting in wrestling. In fact, we were both on the sidelines our freshman year in colleges, suffering in injuries in a state championship uh, game for for uh hmm. at the college level and it was then later that he would drop out of college and get into wrestling as did several several other i mean there's a plethora of guys from minnesota it's crazy mm-hmm. not just robsdale high school but minnesota in general right
0: yeah so that's interesting too uh, there's there's also legendary i mean legendary stories coming out of training out there what was the training like uh when you're trying to get into wrestling yeah, so the unique part about my
1: story is, and I know a lot of guys, I think, automatically assume because we were all friends or, you know, that we all went to training camp together. Of course, the name Eddie Sharkey's thrown out there a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. In fact, I think you, you go on and you, you see my name somehow is attached to Eddie Sharkey. Again, I think it's just by association, right? Because we were all mm-hmm. friends. Josh, the unique thing about my story for those who maybe don't yet know it is the day I walked into Jim Crockett's office in Charlotte, North Carolina, I I had never even hit a ring rope. I'd never even been in a professional wrestling ring, nor did I have any amateur background experience, which I made sure Jim Crockett knew that prior to driving 1,200 miles from Minneapolis, Minnesota down to Charlotte. He said he was good with that. The day I walked in the office is the day Nikita Koloff was born. They partnered me with Ivan Koloff and Don Cronoda, the World Tag Team Champions, and then I would debut the next night in Dorton Arena in Raleigh having never been in a ring before in front of a sold-out crowd.
0: It was crazy, Josh. Wow. So, like, what did they tell you to do? I mean, so it, I got I to do before you go on. I got to say, as somebody who has trained in wrestling and people who – there might, you know, there are people out there who don't know enough about wrestling. That is a, that is a very, very rare thing. <laughs> uh, I got to imagine yeah. it was scary for you. Yeah, I don't think. I think the closest one, the one that comes
1: closest to that was actually ended up being my nemesis in wrestling, Magnum T A. Right, Terry Allen, yeah. Magnum T uh, A. Although he was kind of thrust into the limelight out in the Pacific Northwest with with Buzz Sawyer, um, with with l- very limited training. Uh, so yeah, it, the word rare would be a, the right, the right uh, uh, word for it. Um, we actually even cropped it Like, like that day I showed up, they put me on an interview set and they said, you know, the whole storyline was I was going to be the nephew for Ivan Koloff, the Russian bear. You don't speak any English, take your shirt off, stand on the set. Every time they do an interview, look mean, Ivan put his chains around, you know, around his neck. And, and so that's what we did for hours. And then, we were supposed to get to Raleigh early, and we got there late. Not not my fault. I was just wrong for the ride, so we didn't really even have time to get in the rings. They show me a couple basic things in the dressing room, right? No pressure, right, Josh? Right, right. Uh, a couple ba- how to tie up, like how to lock up, uh, and said, "Do this, this," and, and he's going to submit. And eleven seconds later, in front of a sold out crowd, you know, I had my first win in professional wrestling. But I, let me just tag one thing onto that. Crockett, because we didn't get there early, wasn't going to let me do it. To Ivan's credit, he talked him into let me do it. And the only instructions Ivan gave me was what apparently Crockett told him was, "Don't if he trips on the ropes, he's history. He's out of here. So, so the only thing I think about is All right, go to the ring. Don't trip on the ropes. Don't trip on the ropes. And, and one might think how hard can that be? But to your point, Josh, if you've never been in a ring or tried to climb in a ring or had no training experience, it's a lot harder
0: than you think. Right. It totally is. And so, so now you were just really literally like learning on the road. Would you, would you get yeah. there early? Would you get there if there early and bounce around a little bit as you were going? Yep. Yep. Great question. So,
1: so a, a 11 second win on television. Um, you know, kind of set the stage. And by the way, they uh, they they didn't know me from Adam, right? But because mm-hmm. I went out with Ivan and Don, you know, who were some pretty hot heels at that time, I, I was just hated by my association with them, right? right? So what the three of us would do for the next two or three months is, is what I guess I call on-the-job training. We'd get to the town a couple, three hours early, they, they'd bump and thump all over the ring and teach me the mechanics of wrestling. And, mm-hmm. and then, you know, what some people don't realize in that era or, or prior to this new generation, there was something called ring psychology. Like our, <laughs> yeah. I, as, as you know, Josh, our matches weren't scripted. Our interviews weren't scripted. Uh, it was essentially, you know, uh, spontaneous, you know, a, as we stepped into the ring. And so, Every night, I'd sit in Don and Ivan's corner and watch their world tag team match. And on the drive home, we would discuss ring psychology. Why did they do what they did when they did it? And then I I would begin to learn to listen to the crowd and then know what to do and when to do it by watching and
0: observing them and then just going out the next night and putting it into practice. Right. Wow. You know, it's so funny you bring that up because, uh, you know, I trained with Johnny Jeter, who was who trained at OVW with, you know, guys like Jim Cornette and, and, uh, and those guys. And, uh, that's all he talks about is telling the story, you know, telling the story, what kind of story you're trying to tell and the psychology of things and, you know, making the moves matter and, you know, doing, uh, you know, you know, taking one punch and selling the one punch instead of taking four punches, you know, just so that that one punch actually means something, and right. uh, you know, very old right. school. Sounds like that's what they were trying to
1: teach you. Well, and they did well, and of course, obviously, Ivan Kolop was 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 very old school, and and mm-hmm. so was Don Carnotel. So so I learned old school psychology, and because of that, you know, uh, did my best to protect the business back then because mm-hmm. that's what we were taught and told to do you know that we were projecting the reality of professional wrestling and you know if you want to say not letting the cat out of the bag that it was you know entertainment it was entertainment but we were still trying to project the the realism of it all right Mm -hmm. and uh you know as as some in the past you know dr dr death uh or dr david schultz you know hitting the you know, breaking the eardrum of, of the news reporter, right? Just trying to mm-hmm. protect the business, right? And that's what we were taught to do. And so for your, your your viewers out there that maybe aren't that familiar with wrestling, understand the product of that day. The, the, the challenge was to go in the ring, as you said, and spontaneously tell a story. I mean, if I was wrestling Ric Flair for an hour, which I did many, many, many times, 55 minutes of that match was spontaneous through verbal and nonverbal cues in the ring while we listened to the audience and drew them into the story leading into that outcome and that was the art of the business which you know it's no longer there basically but, you know because of, of writers and all that
0: mm-hmm. so tell me what what was it specifically that drew you to wrestling
1: so it, it wasn't on my radar as a kid You know, uh, I started lifting weights when I was 12. I picked up a magazine called Iron Man. It was a bodybuilding magazine. I was enamored by the pictures and remember thinking one day I want to look like one of those guys. At the age of 12, I bought a 110-pound plastic weight set uh, with with my paper route money, you know, down to Sears and Roebuck, and began to lift weights. And I kind of fell in love with football and and gravitated towards that. So all through junior high, high school, on into college – My goal, my dream, my vision was to play professional football. And I was scouted my senior year, small college in northern Minnesota called Moorhead State University. Uh, My quarterback backed up Phil Sims for the Giants for four years. That's how they discovered me, uh, was Mm. scouting him. And I had a couple of uh, setbacks in my college days, injuries, but it didn't deter me from moving forward and, and pressing on to you know, fulfill my dream. And then what happened uh, is a door of opportunity opened up along the way. I graduated college, training for that pro football tryout, rehabilitating from a fractured leg um, Mm. when some of my buddies uh, got into pro wrestling, known as the Road Warriors, Animal Mm. and Hawk. Mm -hmm. Um, In fact, it's interesting. I recruited Animal out of New Brighton, Minnesota, out of Irondale High School to come play football in college with me. He dropped out. Next thing I know, he's on the superstation TBS with, with a Mohawk and painted face. Right. (laughs) Right. And then he in turn, Josh called me in a sense, you might say, recruited me into pro wrestling. So wasn't on my radar, but I thought, you know what? The tryouts not till six months down the road. Um, Why not? I'll give it a shot. And Hey, if it doesn't work out, then I still got the tryout for pro football. And of course, we we all we, we know what happened right those yeah. my story know what happened
0: yeah now you said it, as a kid it wasn't uh it wasn't really on your radar did you watch wrestling at all and tell me kind of your upbringing what it was like
1: so familiar familiar with with uh again AWA was a uh, Virginia headquartered in Minneapolis right mm-hmm. and so their local show would be on all the time i vaguely remember uh flipping through the channels and you know for your younger viewers on the you know just google that there were no remote controls you actually had to get up and change the channel manually <laughs> uh just for the record um but um you know and so you know I I'd see All Star Wrestling A W A All Star Wrestling and you know I, I wasn't I wasn't glued to the set I, I was just mm-hmm. familiar with it and probably mm-hmm. what what uh my closest um draw to it was at one point I was working out at this little sweatbox gym in Northern Minneapolis called Ventura's gym. Mm. Uh, some people might recognize the name, Jesse, the body mm-hmm. Ventura, uh, later governor Ventura. And uh, so I got to know him a little bit. So we would, tr- we would try to watch, you know, I I'd try to maybe catch, you know, like we say, Hey, Jesse, you should say this on your interviews. And so we yeah. try to watch to see if he'd actually <laughs> say it. And- Every now and then he would, right? We're like, oh, we told him to say that, right? You know, we're yeah. college kids, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and then he inv- my first live match was at the St. Paul Civic Center. He was doing a deadlift competition against Paul Ellering. Some might uh-huh. know him as the manager of the Road Warriors. Yeah. And, and Josh, I remember there was about 25 of us muscleheads there who were Jesse Ventura fans and 18,000 others who were Paul Ellering fans. <laughs> I'll never forget this. Like the announcers announcing the weight and I'm looking and I'm like, I'm, I'm I'm not close enough where I can see the actual place, but I'm close enough where I can kind of see him. And I hear what he's announcing over, you know, the weights on the bar. And, and I'm trying to total it up in my head. And I'm like, I'm not good at math, but I don't think that guy knows how to count. Yeah. <laughs> and then it was an aha moment. I'm like, oh okay oh, Yeah, oh, okay well this is the part i want to get to real quick we're leaving that night i'll never forget we're standing by the elevator and, I, and this woman she looked like she's 80 or 90 years old i'm not kidding you and and she, i somehow made eye contact with her and she stopped and she looked at me and she said "You," yeah. just like this dude she goes you're those jesse ventura fans she goes i had a knife i'd stick it in your gut one of you and i'm like wow there's some people like get really serious about this thing man. yeah yeah that was my remember- first introduction to live wrestling
0: man it's funny i actually went uh, when i was truing, I'm, I'm an attorney by trade and I, when i was looking at law schools i got recruited to try uh, go to seton hall and when i was there they uh they were filming the movie with mickey rourke the wrestler in New Jersey at a ring of honor show. So I bought a front row ticket and went to the thing. And I was just like, this would be cool. You know, I'm a wrestling fan and, and all the guys who are big names now, Brian Danielson and, you know, Seth Rollins and all those guys were on the show. They were just coming up. And, uh, man, those fan. there was a, a guy who came, he was clearly, he brought his girlfriend because of the filming of the, the wrestler. And they yeah. were kind of making fun of it, you know, because they weren't real wrestling fans. And you would have, I swear those wrestling fans, here in California wrestling fans are not like the fans back east. You know what I mean? Right. These guys were they seriously were like going to jump this guy because he wouldn't, you know, not that they of course they knew it was a show but they were so annoyed at the guy for like kind of ruining the suspense that he yeah, almost got beat up, it, right or whatever. Yeah. 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 yeah, they were pretty serious about it and so I could I could imagine and so now you growing up I I read that you know you you uh, grew up with a single mom, is that right? I did, yeah. Youngest of four, Minneapolis via
1: Moscow. Uh, youngest of four, <laughs> and uh, and you know, life began a very very humbling in what we call the projects, what I call the ghettos of Minneapolis. Minneapolis Housing Authority, the official name. Uh, and uh, during my my elementary years, and and then my mom eventually moved us out to the suburbs after my uh, my older sister and two older brothers had essentially more or less moved moved out and and they're they're a bit older than me uh Mm. so then uh through my junior high high school years it was basically just me and my mom Mm, yeah
0: so tell me now that experience how does that inform you later in
1: life yeah i look back on it you know certainly with the you know no no animosity or 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 bitterness or anything of that nature you know my dad leaving when i was around three he would later on come back into my life uh come to some of my college football games and, but it was a very superficial uh, really surface level uh, relationship, you know, cause mm-hmm. uh, he, he just wasn't there. So I had no real male role model really to look up to uh, one way or another. Mm-hmm. Um, And, and so that, and that's, and I think that's partly why too, Josh, that, that weightlifting, bodybuilding and football just became my, my passion where I lived, ate and breathed. It was kind of my outlet, if you will. Um. And and so when I look back on my upbringing, it gives me a certainly a much greater appreciation. uh, Mm -hmm. Once I started tasting success, if you will, Um, and 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 in fact, one time, tell you a little side story about the the wrestling world. One time, the CPA for Jim Crockett pulled me aside and he said, "Cash your checks." I'm like, Mm -hmm. "What are you What are you talking about?" He goes, "You're you're messing up my bookkeeping." cash <laughs> your checks. And I'm like, what are you talking about? As I go home and, 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 and I kid you not, I, you know, because I didn't grow up with a lot of money, you know, I, I'd get my, you know, we get weekly checks from the Crockett's and I just walk in and throw it up on the shelf in my closet. And sure enough, I went in 13, 13 checks were up there uncashed. Jeez. <laughs> 13. And, and couldn't even tell you how much they totaled up to, but but the point was, you know, I I my sister says I'm very frugal. That's, a, I guess, a polite way of saying I'm cheap, right? But yeah, um,
0: <laughs> I yeah. have to
1: say I have I have much respect for money because of my upbringing.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. You know, I, I've said on this before when talking to other people. My parents, you know, I my parents are still together, but my dad had a pretty rough go. He's a recovered drug addict. Uh, we're, you know, we, we're Mormon. And so, um, but uh, he recovered through that and, and he ended up um, uh, anyway, 25, almost 30 years sober now. And, uh, but it was a rough go. And so I remember thinking to myself all throughout high school and stuff, my parents only fought about drugs and money. And so I was like, well, if I don't do drugs and I make all the money, then things should be fine. And so I had a really, I had a really healthy, you know, Respect for investments and money because of that experience, because they were always struggling because yeah. of those things, and so I just find yeah. it interesting hearing people's stories, like being a single, living with a single mom, not having the money. How some it seems like that is a common thread with a lot of people who are successful. Yeah, in, in fact, I'm going to say this too for for
1: for those out there, maybe somebody might uh, identify with this, and I know we're going to talk, you know more about about this but uh, when I came to the faith in Jesus Christ it, it was a while Josh where I had to work through what the term I would use a poverty mentality hmm. and and what I mean by that is I really had to learn like you re- you know you read the Bible you read scriptures talk about you know be, be a a be generous on every occasion um hmm. God loves a cheerful giver. And it wasn't that I wasn't willing to give or or be generous, but there was a bit of a struggle there. You know, full transparency. There was a bit of a struggle there. You know, over those early formative years as be, in being a Christ follower, that that I had to just kind of, if you will, open up my hands and, and kind of be willing not to keep such a tight grip on on money on finances. Mm. And uh, so I'm very grateful through that process and uh, because of what I've learned.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, another thing, and I wanted to talk to you about this, of course, you know, we want to talk about your, your wrestling career, but one of the things that I find so fascinating um, about you and like guys like you and sting, who you guys were, you know, you guys had a famous feud, but you both kind of went a different route in that when so many people of your generation kind of went South, I guess you could say, You guys somehow found a solace in that by finding Jesus and being, you know, being Christian. And I'm just curious what it was that brought you to that.
1: Yeah, a a number of my peers, right? So, Mm -hmm. well, there's myself, Sting, um, Lex Luger, which, Mm -hmm. you know, we talk about that too. Uh, Him and I run a camp, you know, the Shirt I'm Wearing Man Camp is a camp that he and I host every spring in, in and fall down a little town called Royston, Georgia. Uh we'll, we'll have one coming up here at the end of, of April. It'll be our next one. Uh, small groups of men that we bring in to really empower them and equip them to be godly men, godly husbands, godly fathers, you know, mm-hmm. send them home, hopefully to hear some, some great stories on on how they implemented the things they learned at camp, right? Um, I didn't grow up in church. So let's get a little more backstory for, for your viewers. I didn't grow up in church um but that's not to say i wasn't familiar with the story right the man jesus crucified on a cross you know spikes driven through his hands his feet a spear through his side i knew the story but for the first 30 34 years of my life that story never made the 18-inch trip from my head down to my heart and and so there was no life transformation for me um Mm -hmm. what led to that decision was nothing dramatic, you know. You'll hear some of the different stories, like what well, you just mentioned. You know, your dad was, you know, addicted to drugs or whatever, right? Or, mm-hmm. or you know, I was addicted to alcohol, or, or you know, in and out of jail, you know, numerous times. And and so you hear those those different types of stories where somebody hit, you might say, rock bottom, and then mm-hmm. that led them as they're flat on their back. That led mm-hmm. them to look up towards heaven and asked for yeah. Jesus to come in their life, that wasn't, that's not my story. My story, the shorter version of it is, um, I leave wrestling, I'm, I'm on this quest, if you will, this journey for what life holds next for Nikita Koloff. And and in fact, I wrote about this in, in, in one of my books, Wrestling With Success, and, and uh, I think a whole chapter devoted to this. I was successful, Josh, but I was unfulfilled. Yeah. And, and and there was just just this void in my heart that you might think being a world champion or a quote famous wrestler might feel that void, but it didn't. It, it might have mm-hmm. temporarily, but but nothing sustaining, long term sustaining. All that to say, through some other business ventures, I met a Christian couple uh, who had invited me to their church a few times, and and it was just a divine appointment for me. I called them up one day. I said, I'll be there Sunday morning. I'm I'm coming to your church. And they're like, we'll meet you there. They did. An invitation was given to come to the altar. And it was an aha moment for me. And what I mean by that is I'm like, okay, I I think I just figured out what's missing in my life. And that's this personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I've never asked him into my heart. I've never done that. And I went forward that day Josh, on my knees, confessing and repenting. And I can say for the record that if I died that day, I would have died a fulfilled man because the minute I did that, received Christ, there was also just this sense of of fulfillment, that life was complete at that point, even if I did nothing else. And and with Sting and Lax, the road warriors prior to their passing... Uncle mm-hmm. Ivan, prior to his passing, um, I've had a small role uh, in different ways. in a number of those guys that led them to that same conclusion, that same decision, realizing all the money in the world, all the fame and fortune and glamour and glitz and climbing the corporate ladder and everything else uh, is but temporary. And the, the, the one conclusion we have all come to grips with was that without without a personal relationship with Jesus? It's all, as Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, meaningless, meaningless. It's all meaningless. Uh, in fact, last thing I'll say, um, most recently, uh, Mark Ellis, the Undertaker, has mm-hmm. has become public uh, with with his faith in Christ, and and just prior to this past Christmas season, uh, Hulk Hogan and, and his new wife uh, both got baptized. Uh, in the in the, the Baptist church where they attend uh, there in Tampa. So I think, Josh, more and more people realize or, or at least my peers realize that that all of that other stuff is 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 just meaningless, meaningless at the end of the day when it's all said and
0: done. It's interesting what you brought up. Uh, which I thought it was really interesting. You were successful, but not fulfilled. And it's interesting yep. to hear that because I think that the normal person would listen to you're being adorned while well, you were being booed. Most of the time, you didn't have a face run, but you were, you were a pretty, pretty nasty heel there for a while. But I mean, you're, you're wrestling in front of 10, 15, 20,000 fans, you know, you're holding championships. You're, you're living the, the, what was viewed as the party lifestyle, you know, in your twenties and thirties and, and, and beyond. <coughs> and yet, this moment that you have in a, in a church by yourself is the one that makes you fulfilled. And that's just a, uh, I think that's really interesting. I just, I find that very, very interesting as a Christian myself, but also as someone who has, I think everybody, anybody out there who is um, who is successful has like a bit of a superiority complex and an inferiority complex, right? Like everything, you know, you think you can do everything better than everybody else, but then you also kind of think that nothing you do is really good enough. Right. And like, yet you know, you're always chasing that thing that's going to be it. And for you, it was just having a personal relationship with your savior. And I think that that says a lot.
1: Yeah, it's it's the chasing of the brass ring, right? And and again, you don't have to be a professional athlete. Um, You know, you were one. You're you're you're, you know you're you have a law background. You said, and and I know plenty of other successful people who who are not athletes. You know, climbed the corporate ladder, became you know millionaires or and or nowadays you know billionaires um but i think what's interesting i'll tell you this little side story so lex luger at one point was thinking of you know of getting into the movies this is prior to the rock or you know anything else right so and he goes out to hollywood to look for a home and they take him to malibu right because they the realtor says that's where all the stars live, right? All the stars live in Malibu. Lex, you need to look for a house in Malibu. Hmm. So they take him there and, and he's looking around. And of course, he's a very inquisitive guy and he's very smart. Anyone who spends any time around Lex, uh, he really is. And, and uh, he says, I-, I got a question. What's the number one industry here? And he so the realtor almost starts laughing. And, and, and he's like, like, is that funny? Like, is that a funny question? And he goes, well, you might, you might be surprised. And he goes, well, tell me, he goes, drug rehabs. And, wow. and at that time, Josh, they had the most drug rehabs in any city in the U S they had 125. I like, remember, right. Drug rehabs in Malibu for all, all of the successful movie stars. Wow. Drug rehabs, number one wow. industry in Malibu, Lex was like taken aback, like, Oh, my gosh. So, uh, you know, we look at all these stars, you know, music stars and, and, and movie actors. And, you know, we see them all up on the silver screen, the glitz and the glamour, even Lex, like, if mm-hmm. anyone knows Lex's story, go get his book wrestling with the devil, or read his story. What you saw appear on television, was 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 not reality reality and sting had a similar story behind the scenes off camera their lives were train wrecks yeah i mean it it let you know that that whole as you said that whole party lifestyle that that some like really try to grab hold of or run after with everything they have um many of them find out what it's all said and done this isn't what it was cracked up to be i I, i'm still miserable i'm still depressed Still fighting anxiety, and uh, you know, I have no peace in my life. And I've come to the conclusion anyway the one thing and the only thing that'll bring a peace that surpasses all understanding is accepting and receiving Jesus Christ into your life. That's
0: it for period. That as far as I'm concerned, yeah, you know, it, it's interesting. You know, we're in a very, very, you know, as someone who's been involved in the business at the highest levels uh, we're in a very interesting, I feel like transition period in that, uh, you know, we, we talked a little bit off air about Vince McMahon. And I know that you were one, you were like the only guy ever left that never worked for the WWF. You, you were, a a, you were a Turner guy through and through a WCW guy and, and, and never worked there. Um, but it's so interesting to see someone so powerful and so strong and and really at the top of his game almost loses entire legacy because of just allegations of depravity. And, uh, you work a lot with, it sounds like you work with a lot of different people who have had to come back from something like that. Perhaps you could, you can talk about, you know, in that context, working with people like that, how you kind of pull them out of that if you can. Yeah. I mean, great,
1: great question. I mean, the, the immediate, scripture pops in my mind, you know, as as you're bringing up that, that current scenario, that very recent scenario is, you know, is your sin will find you out. Um, We can try to conceal our lifestyles and, 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 and live this secretive hidden life all we want and, and may even have some success with it for a while. But, but ultimately I was thinking about this Earlier today, I forget I forget why, but this expression, time will either expose you or promote you. Mm-hmm. Time will either expose you or promote you. It's not a matter of if, it's only a matter of when, which the challenge for all of us then is to live as clean a life as we can possibly live, forgiven for those things we've done in the past, And hopefully there's some reconciliation or redemption there. Uh, And if not, then that that possibility is always there. Um, Our camps, the camps that Lex and I facilitate and and host. Guys come into those camps, Josh, with all different backgrounds, uh, from 18-year-old and up. The oldest one's been in his mid-70s, a retired pastor, uh, you know, construction workers. We've had homeless and millionaires rooming together, you know, at, mm. at our camp. So there's no, but we don't discriminate against anybody and they all come in for, for different reasons. And, and yet invariably, every single one of them, while they'll take a hand, carve out a handful of days and spend them with us, will will find in that setting, when they get away from the noise and the rat race of life and just really get quiet their soul, if you will, that some things uh, will come into the light that, that can either help, I say it this way, either help set them free or help heal them of past hurts or things that have wounded or people that have wounded them in the past. And, and and I don't believe that anybody is not beyond redemption. They just have to be willing to go there and be and open up and be transparent enough uh, to receive what, what God has waiting for them that makes yeah. sense. It kind of addresses does. what you're
0: asking. Yeah, it does. And and I've seen it, you know, I've seen it in my own father and I've, and I've seen it in my own life. Right. It's, right. it's uh, you know, it's funny, it, it, I was thinking about what you were saying about millionaires and homeless, you know, one of the thing that I, another thing that kind of exemplifies is, you know, I, I for a long time, I mean, I'm almost 43 years old and uh, I've been an attorney for 12 years and I've done everything i I mean, I'm, I'm really, I've been really blessed beyond my measure with regard to what the success I've had. And, uh, but the funny thing is, is growing up in the background that we did, like I said, it was like, oh, if I have all the money, things are going to be fine. And I had in my head, I was like, well, if I had the big house, the nice car, you know, my kids all had college educations. I, you know, had the, the, the movie theater and the pinball machine and, you know, all the stuff I always wanted as a kid then I'd be happy. And I noticed that every one of those things, I get them, and they'd be cool for a month or two, and it'd be on to the next yep. thing. And the only thing yep. that really sustained me was what you were talking about, which is meaning through, which I find meaning very similar to yours is through service through Christ. Right. And then also on top of that, good, meaningful, positive experiences with the people I love. And uh, you know I, you obviously have a, a fond uh, relationship with Lex Luger. If you're doing this together, talk to me about what that means to you. Being someone who, who re- traveled the road with these guys and now have this ability to give back in this way, what that means to you?
1: Yeah, it's 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 really cr- kind of crazy to think about. The you know because what so what I, I leave wrestling. You know, really, my official last match is November '92. About 11 months later, I find myself at, at an altar, 17 October. 1993 giving my life to Christ and then that sets me on this 30 year 30 plus year journey uh, of traveling the world uh, to share my story and hopefully uh, you know impact some people's lives in a positive way and so Lex and I were separated for about 11 years uh I saw him I saw him again in December of 1995. Uh, they were wrestling in 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 Charlotte, and so I went down to the arena and just kind of you know say hi to all the guys. hadn't seen any of them in almost three years since I had left wrestling, uh, so it was you know great to see all the guys. And then I didn't see Lex again until June of two thousand and six, hmm. and you know I heard all kinds of stories and rumors, and you know you talked about some of my peers, you know Sting and I and others have taken a better path uh, than unfortunately. So even some of my high school friends, right? Like mm-hmm. Kurt Henning, uh, you know, Ravishing Rick Rude, who's no longer Tom Zink and Brady yeah. Boone, all four of those guys who graduated year ahead of me are, are no longer with us. And, yeah. and I believe because of poor choices, for some of them, uh, as well as other wrestlers, um ha- had have premature deaths. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so I-, I hear the rumors about Lex and you Know they think he's gonna be the, the next dead wrestler, right? Yeah, um, just because of his lifestyle, and you know, didn't realize again off camera. I mean, he's he's taking pills and he's drinking, you know, all kinds of liquor and booze and that whole deal. And then I hear that a jail chaplain uh befriends him in his last trip to jail, uh and 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 eventually leads him out, condensed the story, eventually leads him to Christ. In the same hotel room he was living in, where six months prior he almost overdosed of drugs, wow, and leads him to Christ. And so I reach out to him, we connect, comes out to a conference in Arizona, we, and and we just we 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 really bonded there. Like in, in wrestling, we were just rest you know professional on a professional level, right? We weren't really mm-hmm. the best of buddies, although mm-hmm. we did travel together. I think back to some fun times when Luger and Sting and Road Warrior Animal and I, all four of us, would travel in a car. Uh, it, it, what the? We don't have time for all those stories tonight, uh, Josh. <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe another show. But uh, if, if any wrestling fans out there can picture that, the Russian Man. Nightmare, Road Warrior Animal, the Total Package, and the Stinger all traveling together on the road. But um, and then to have a small role in seeing many of these guys you know, come to Christ it is so heartwarming. I mean, Ivan, Ivan, mm. I, I invited Ivan to a revival, had no no idea he would come, but I felt prompted to invite him. And I didn't know he was even there that night, Josh, until I saw him standing at an altar to give his life to Jesus. Wow. That's when I first knew he was in the building. And that night, you want to talk about a genuine encounter? That night, Ivan was set free of of drug addiction, alcohol addiction, tobacco addiction. I don't know another cuss word ever came out of his mouth after that night at that altar. Uh, And so just as, again, how how gratifying is that for me, I guess, to really get to to your question, to know in some small way, I've had opportunities uh, to impact some of my, my wrestling peers.
0: Yeah, you know, going back to wrestling, you know, I know wrestling fans are gonna be listening to this. I'm like, you didn't talk hardly at all about wrestling, but I gotta, I gotta ask you a couple of questions. One of them being, where, what would you say? I mean, who is the person during those years that you think you bonded with the most? Like, who was your best buddy when you were going through all that? Certainly, uh, right? I mean, right out of the gate, Ivan, mm-hmm. Ivan. Yeah. You know,
1: people are like, you know, once they find out he wasn't really my uncle, I'm like, yeah, well, he was more of an uncle to me or, or as much of an uncle to me as any of my uncles in my life. Right. Right. Um, right. You know, him and Don Cronotto taking me under their wing. I, I mean, I I would have, I would not have had the career I had had they not sacrificed their body every night for a couple, you know, a couple, two, three months. Those first formative months in the business teaching me the ropes, mm. pun intended. Um, <laughs> and, and so. You know, certainly, uh, Don and Ivan and I—we we were friends well past uh, our wrestling careers, uh, mm-hmm. right, right up to the time. In fact, um, I was asked to uh, be the key speaker at, at Don's funeral. He had always promised me I would I would do that, and I wanted to be a man of my word, and so I spoke at Don's funeral, and then uh, at a small, uh, private only graveside funeral for Ivan. I, again, I was asked to be the key speaker at his funeral uh and and which I was uh, honored to do and so certainly Don and Ivan uh were were two once I flipped the switch saw the light you might say Josh right. became a good guy um yeah. and partnered with the American Dream the Roll, the Tower yeah. of Power to be Power if you will yeah um <laughs> once we became the superpowers i had i had a couple fun years riding up and down the road in his little two-seater red convertible uh, Mercedes Benz. Man, we laughed, and we just, we had, if I ever, if I pass away of any regrets, uh, there might be one, and here's the one. For you he I drove and flew around the towns and talked about going into partnership, you know, and buying, like, a thousand acres, like out in Montana, where the snow capped mountains and antelope roam, right? Right. Um, we never pulled the trigger, never did it. And I, to this day, I kind of kicked myself. I'm like, man, why didn't we do that? You know, yeah. but those are the kind of things we talked about and just, you know, just had fun. So yeah. those three guys. And then, of course, Luger, Sting. Uh, Sting is a dear, dear friend. Luger, Magnum TA, my nemesis. Yeah the best of seven series for the U S title, right? Yeah. Um, Magnum and I talk on a very frequent basis. Um, Mm -hmm. I've had him come to some of the services I've done and and share his story, how the Lord sustained him through a broken neck and and a career ending injury and and how it was Jesus who sustained him through that whole injury. Um, And so Magnum is a dear friend. And those are some of the ones that come to mind.
0: Yeah, man. So um you know the where would you say is your favorite feud?
1: By by far the best of seven against Magnum, and it's the most talked about. Um yeah. when I go out, I was just out this past weekend in Logan, West Virginia doing an autograph signing. And what I love about the autograph signings is you know, people share their stories. I love hearing their yeah. stories, their memories yeah. of the yeah. Russian nightmare, right. Uh, right. whether it was a live match or loving to boo me or, or hate me or, or whatever. Right. All those kinds of stories are, are, are just fascinating to me now. Um, and, and so, yeah, I mean, that, that's, uh, you know, the, the, the and and the opportunity, the opportunity to get out into that, still be a part of that business in that capacity,
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: and, and be able to kind of rub, rub elbows, you know, with the fans, um, a couple others that that come to mind. Uh, the very first ever Great American Bash against the mm-hmm. Nature Boy Ric Flair. Yeah, I mean, Josh, if you think about think about the story I told you earlier, how I broke into wrestling, right? Right. Fast forward thirteen months from mm-hmm. that debut in the Dorton Arena in Raleigh from an eleven second win in Dorton. Fast forward thirteen months, almost to the day. And I'm wrestling in the first ever Great American Bash main event for the World Heavyweight title against a guy named the Nature Boy Ric Flair, already the World Tag Team Champion and the World Six-Man Champion in just 13 months with no experience, no background, no training, and I'm wrestling the World Heavyweight uh, Champion for his belt. Hmm. Are you kidding me? Like, wow, right? right. Um, and then the other one I'll mention just re- real quick, too, uh, for your for your viewers out there is is the first ever War Games, very yeah. first ever War Games was incredibly memorable as well.
0: Mm, yeah. You know, now, was that the one where you did the hug with Sting, or was that a later one? That that would be later on where I became part of Sting squadron. Uh, that that
1: wasn't the original War game. The original War Games was Dusty and I, the Road Warriors, and Precious Paul against the Four Horsemen, and J.J. Dillon. That's right. I remember that.
0: You know, it yeah. was funny. I'll tell you. You want to hear stories. I'll tell you mine. I remember one of the, the thing that I remember the most about your career was I remember, I think it was the first Super Brawl where the Steiners were working against uh, Sting and Luger. And you came yep. in and bashed Sting and started your feud with him. And it ended what? with that. Go ahead. No, no, no. I'm sorry. Yeah,
1: it ended with the hug, right? Yeah, it ended with the sure. hug. Yeah. So, so quick backstory on that. So quick backstory. So, you know, I, I, I'd, I'd taken a, a hiatus. I'd taken some time off. Uh, had a wife die of cancer. Some know that some don't know that she was 24 when she was, uh, it was detected. She was 26 when she passed away, took mm-hmm. time off to take care of her. I mean, I walked away from main event to take care of her. The, the office wasn't happy, but I just felt it was the right thing to do. Right. Yeah. And, and so walk away from main event status, gave up a contract to go take care of her. When I was ready to come back, they were convinced I could be a heel again. Even after we did the whole turn with Magnum, I cry a tear for Magnum TA, though, mm-hmm. right? Pro Wrestling Illustrated a whole, uh, whole deal. So they said, We'll put you against Luger. He's you know our second hottest baby phase, right? So we do the deal. I'm in, we're in Arizona. I smack him over the upside of the head with the belt and and uh, presenting a new belt to him, and that 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 creates that angle. And 50% of the people cheer me and 20 and 50% cheer him, right? Mm-hmm. And and they eventually f- figure out, and realize, well, maybe you're right. I tell you what, we'll do we'll put you against the hottest baby face. That's Sting. Right. And so in St. Pete, that's where we did the deal you're refu- you're referring to, where the idea was I'm coming down to continue, you know, the the attack on Luger. He ducks. I hit Sting by accident. And of course he and I fight out into the parking lot and that creates the angle with him to where I eventually we kind of, if you will kind of kiss and make up uh, and, and, and give him the, 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 hug a few months later to try to, 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 make up. Now I'll say for the record too, a lot of people don't know this. I had a little girl with me all painted up, like painted up with stinger stuff, you know, right. uh, just to try to appeal to him. That was my oldest daughter, Taryn, right? My oldest. <laughs> right. Daughter. And I said, now, honey, when daddy asks you who your favorite wrestler is, please do not say my daddy, Nikita Koloff, right, right. So Make sure you say Sting, you
0: know, so right. anyway,
1: little, little, That's, little side story there.
0: Well, what I, the reason that sticks out in my mind now is because they recently had a war games where Charlotte Flair and Becky Lynch did the hug similar to you and Sting. And I thought nice, you know, kind of nice throwback to the, to what you guys did. And it just goes to show You know, I find that wrestling—the thing that people don't understand—is wrestling is all about moments, the the moments that stick with you. You know, and and there's and there's a lot of moments. You, Hogan slamming Andre, and you know, Mick Foley getting thrown off a cage. Your your hug with Sting at War Games for me was one of those moments. You know, it was it was it's pretty cool. And they they did that throwback to you, and I thought that was that was pretty uh, meaningful that they were willing to do that. I'll tell you one
1: other uh, too is is that meaningful for a lot of the fans going back to coming to Dusty's Rescue in the cage and doing the whole babyface turn was Magnum's first back in Baltimore. Uh, Crockett Cup, uh, uh, Magnum comes out for the very first time since the accident, makes it down to ringside, and that embrace with with uh, with Magnum at ringside. I, I don't think, uh, honestly, I don't think there was a dry eye in the building that night.
0: Yeah, man. That's awesome. And, you know, looking back now, I mean, you know, now that you've been around for a few, few years uh, you've lived a pretty full life. Uh, what would yes, you sir. say of all the things is your biggest success?
1: Oh, wow. Great question. Cause I, I don't know, really, I don't know that I've ever been asked in that way before and, and uh, try to try to narrow it down there. I had, it's interesting you say that Uh, I, I have, uh, I have lived a very blessed life. There's no question, no doubt. When I look back on what I've done, I I remember one time and and I'm in, you know, hitting my mid sixties, right? Josh, Mm -hmm. back in my mid thirties after leaving wrestling, I had a guy say to me then, well, you've done more in your first, you know, 30 something years than most people do in a lifetime. And I'm like, Wow, but there's a lot of a lot of life ahead of me, right? And and so he, fast forward 30 years later, and now I think, you know, 36 different countries I've traveled to, all 50 states. Um, you know, I, I've 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 ministered to an audience of one. I've ministered to the largest audience to date, which Luger was with me, by the way, was over 73,000 in Jamaica. Wow. Um, Sting and I did a, a huge dramatization in in the old Indian Dome in Indiana. Um, for over 43,000 teenagers, we saw over 10,000 respond to the altar that night um, from our testimonies and our dramatization. Um, I, gosh, I mean, to, to narrow it down or to pin it down, I guess feeling fortunate to travel and see the world um, mm-hmm. and experience so many different cultures and um, considering where 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 it all began back in those projects of minneapolis i do honestly sometimes feel like i need to to pinch myself to make sure it's all real josh um when i think about when i think about all that i've done and I, and i will say this too because if i said this once i said this numerous times um so i have facilitated roughly about 80 of these camps and and it's just small groups of men we try to limit it usually like to 24 guys. And, and when I see the impact uh, that it has on those men and then hear the stories later, how a marriage was restored, how a relationship between a dad and a daughter was restored or a dad and a son or, you know, this this person was, was healed, right? And, and mm-hmm. you know, of, of this affliction, physical affliction in his life. You, you, I can't put a price tag on, on any of that, and all the money in the world doesn't compare to any of that. Lex and I one time tried to calculate. When he first heard I left wrestling, It was Josh, it was right before the pay-per-view, or right before all the big fat contracts, right? All, right. all the big explosion and pay-per-view. And, and And so he and I sat down one time and said, well, let's kind of conservatively calculate what you think I walked away from, Lex. And on a conservative level, we figure I've walked away from probably no less than 50 million. Wow. $50 million Oh, on a conservative level, right? Could have been hmm. double that, triple that, right? Or, or more. Hmm. I say that to say not one regret in that regard do I look back and go, I wish I had stayed I wish I'd taken advantage of all those big fat contracts. When I see one person's life changed uh, for the better and it impacts
0: the kingdom of God, there's no price I can put on that, Josh. That's awesome. Now, here's another question I ask. uh, I tend to ask everybody, and that is, I think you learn so much from failure. So what, what what would you say was your biggest failure and what did you learn from it? So... You know, I mentioned I mentioned uh, some injuries
1: in college um, mm-hmm. and and I sustained my freshman year. I sustained a, a fractured tibia and fibula. Those are the lower lower bones in your leg. Any avid football fans out there might remember Joe theisman when Lawrence Taylor broke his leg in half. And mm-hmm. so that's essentially the the fracture I, I sustained in in uh, my freshman year in college i never forget my high school football coach when I saw him later that, that following spring. And he said, I heard about your injury. Wow. Sorry to hear about that. You know, nobody ever comes back from an injury like that. Well, you can take that one of two ways, right? You can, you mm-hmm. can use that as motivation or, or go into a deep depression and think, you know, you're never going to pull out of it. I chose to use it as motivation, came mm-hmm. back to play three more years only to fracture my other leg in a game
0: Hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, and
1: break it in half. Uh, But now I'm, what, you know, four years older. uh, I feel a little bit more mature and experienced. And knowing I could come back from one, I could come back from the other. And then, of course, went on to have this career in in pro wrestling uh, without any repercussions from any of those injuries. And so I, I would tell your viewers out there, that in life we're going to be faced with many failures and and, and setbacks, uh, but you never have to let a setback or a failure hold you back. You can use it as a setup for a comeback. Yeah. And so, no matter what you might fail at, I I, I look at it this way, Josh. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna grow and I'm gonna learn from from any and every failure. I, I, I'm not gonna. Not going to go into any depression. I'm going to use it as motivation to to pick myself up, dust myself off, and move forward. And if not successful in whatever that endeavor is, use the learning lessons from that to be successful in another endeavor.
0: Well, and I think that that's the true meaning of faith, right? It's easy to be faithful when things are going good, right? And and the one thing I've seen, and and I believe this to be true, is that sometimes failures happen, and in the midst of the failure, you sit there and you go man, you know, this isn't fair. This isn't what I should be dealing with, right? But if you believe in God, you understand everything happens for a reason. Sometimes when you look like, I can't think of something that is a failure in my life. And there's been many, and there's been some deep ones and some deeply hurtful things that have happened. But you look back and you go, man, that had to happen to get me to this other place that was so much better that even I couldn't even imagine. My life looks so much different than I ever would have expected it to look. And and some of it would look at some of the things that have happened to get me there and think they're really tragic, but it's turned me into a person and given me a life that I didn't even know was my dream life.
1: You know what I mean? Well, and and, and, uh, yeah, absolutely. 100%. And let me, uh, and again, I'm going to emphasize this to your viewers. Listen to this. You know, that we sometimes can get caught up in what you're pointing to is asking the why, right? Why did this Mm -hmm. happen? Why am I going through this? You know, why, why, why? And I don't, for the record, I don't think there's anything wrong with asking why God's a big enough God to handle your why Jesus asked on the cross, you know, why have you forsaken me? So I don't think there's anything wrong with the why, but Josh, what I've learned through all of my past failures is no longer to ask why, because it's, it's, it's happened. I've instead decided to ask what, Hmm. what is the lesson in this? why am i going through this you know is okay but more important i believe is what do you want me to learn from this so that hopefully you don't have to repeat it again <laughs> okay right. so yeah learn the learn the lesson learn the what so you don't have to repeat it again and, and and that's like magnum you know magnum never one time asked god why did this happen to me not once ever broken neck never once asked why he just said okay this, this, is, this is what's happened. How am I going to make the best of my life from this?
0: Wow. You know, I got one last question uh, for you before we wrap up, and that is someday far along down the road, you're going to pass away. When you do, there'll be a funeral and a eulogy. What do you hope is the one thing someone says about you in your eulogy?
1: Wow. Um, no sprints on the window. Yeah. Yeah. Nose prints on the window. What does he mean by that? You know, there's a lot of different ways that we can define success, right? Success is a relative term, right? What one person views as success, you know, might be completely different for someone else. I'm a dad. Uh, I've got currently, I've got 11 grandkids um, and counting. So 11 and counting. And, and, you know, I walk into my daughter's house this, this most recent time, my, my eight-year-old grandson turned, saw me, bolted across the room, jumped into my arms and, and hugged me until I was ready to, to let him down and, and stop hugging him. And my daughter looked and, and was just kind of taken aback by his embrace, right? Mm -hmm. And what I mean by nose prints on the window, when prior to grandchildren, when I was raising children, uh, one of the ways I define success is, man, if if those kids are standing there, pressing their faces up against the window, waiting for dad to come home, is there any greater feeling than that or any greater, uh, any more success you could achieve than that, than those children uh, just longing for and waiting for Dad to get home, that they could embrace you, that they could hug you, that they could love on you, and, and then set the tone for 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 their future lives. and then uh, in turn then, that's now passed down uh, and and I'm experiencing that with with my grandchildren. Um, so I hope, all that to say, I hope that others might say, um more than anything else he he learned to love
0: yeah that's he awesome to love man that's awesome well i got to tell you as somebody this is this has been you know i've done a lot of wrestling interviews and i got to tell you this is probably one of the top ones because you can just tell a lot of these guys that we talk to uh, i talk to quite frankly Lives didn't turn out the way that they hoped. Sometimes they do, you know, they do, sometimes they don't. Some people are grateful, some people are regretful. And I can tell that you got it, sounds like you got out at the right time and really had a second career that was even more meaningful than the first. And I think that that's really amazing. And tell me, while we're, while we got you, we're wrapping up, uh, where can people find your work? So uh, I
1: try to make it as simple. I try to live a very simple life now, right? <laughs> 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 Make it as simple as possible. Uh so, so I'll give you that website here in just a moment, give you a chance to grab a pen or whatever you need to do to write it down. But on that website, you can connect me with me in many different ways. Like if you want to learn more about the man camp, you're you're a woman out there and you're like, Man, I love for my husband or my significant other, you know, we're looking at getting married one day or something or you, you know you want to send him to that camp so we can empower him and equip him and send him back home to, to to just be a godly man a good man and a godly man um you can go to the website and link to the man camp uh, our next one's at the end of April uh, two books you'll find in my store uh are my my newly updated uh ring of redemption the key to ring of redemption and actually if you don't like hard copy, I went in the studio last year and in my own voice, now available on Audible, go on Amazon or wherever else, you can download my my life story from as far back as I can remember to present day uh, and get the full story. Now, if you order it off my website, you'll get a personal autograph, uh, but both books are available there. Um, I've got a podcast and a radio show on Truth Radio Network uh, called The Man Up Show and a TV show, and you can go on the website and link to all the shows, and link to all of social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all ready. Here you go. Koloff, last name, K-O-L-O-F-F, koloff.net. If you go to koloff.net, you can find me, follow me, spread the word. Josh, that podcast so far has been downloaded in 93 different countries, and uh, I'm looking for help. Get it to 100, so I appreciate you having me on tonight.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you coming on and I just want you to know that I, as a wrestling fan, have been uh, moved by your work there and also your work afterwards, which is why I'm glad that we were able to have this. So uh, for those of you listening, uh, follow Nikita Koloff and his work because it's really meaningful and uh, it's always great to to speak to somebody who really leads with his heart and I can tell you do. So.
1: Thank you, sir. And I I just appreciate you and out there. Thank you for uh, giving me the, uh, taking the time to listen. And for you, Josh, giving me the the, the time for this interview. Really appreciate yeah.
0: it. Absolutely. All right. Well, we'll catch you guys next time. Subscribe and uh, yeah, we'll see you later.